It's episode 10 of the Women's Running podcast. I'm Esther Newman, editor of Women's Running, and in this episode I speak to Sophie Power. Ultra running star, women's running cover star, and ardent campaigner on women's health, Sophie is someone we just had to have on the podcast. She found sudden fame almost two years ago when she was photographed breastfeeding at a checkpoint at the UTMB. This beautiful picture of her went global, and she allowed it to, hoping that it would in some way influence event directors of ultra races into allowing pregnant runners to defer their places. She talks to me here about that experience and what she's been doing since with her newfound fame. She also talks about previous races, the perils of drinking too much water, training while pregnant, pelvic floors and fighting for change. I also do a fantastic segue between feminism and shiny kit and somehow Sophie makes that work without making me feel like a bad feminist. Find out what she's up to now and what she's planning next. This episode is sponsored by Brooks Running. Brooks has launched its brilliant Run Visible collection this autumn and are giving you the opportunity to win one of two entire Run Visible outfits worth £400 each. Each winner will win a pair of women's carbonite tights, the carbonite hoodie, the carbonite jacket and a pair of Run Visible Ghost 13 shoes. Run Visible is a collection designed to keep you running no matter the weather or the time of day with smart high visibility features to keep you seen in the dark. To win all of this, you just need to go to womensrunning.co.uk forward slash run visible and answer a very simple question. And for all the T's and C's. That's womensrunning.co.uk forward slash run visible. Find out more about the collection at brooksrunning.co.uk. Good luck. So you, you've been out this morning already? Uh, so I had chairman session this morning. So I had kid camp drop-off, kid nursery drop-off, jump on the treadmill for, you know, one of those sessions where you look at your plan, you're like, this is going to kill me. Um, and I dreaded it all morning and I was like, I just had to get it done. Um, so I did and it was fine. <laughs> oh, well done you. <laughs> so yeah, I've got wet hair just out of the shower, kind of, um, yeah, got my emails. I was like, get me hours done, then jump out shower. I was like, oh, I'm going to call Esther. So, um, yeah, it's one of those mornings. That sounds like a good morning. Um, I was going to ask you about lockdown anyway. You've already started talking about it, um, which is great. But it was just, I just wanted to know how you found it, what's been going on, how, how, how has your lock back, lockdown been? It's been a bit crazy. So we moved to our kind of what I call our forever house in the first week of lockdown. Um, so two kids. So my kids are two and five. Um, not at school, not at nursery, moving house. Uh, my husband's uh, job's in the market, so he's locked away kind of eight till five every day, um, and you're unpacking a house. Um, so that was hard. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to work at the same time and, and do what I can and say no to everything and just put everything on pause. But I think in hindsight, it's been really, really good for us. I think as a family, we've learned that we can operate in a different way. I think my husband's learned that he can work from home a couple of days a week, which will really help me in terms of managing kind of getting to London for meetings. Um, and our two boys have got to know each other really well. Um, and they were both in kind of separate nurseries and, and one was at school. And I took them for two and a half hour hikes every morning um, because we live on the edge of the North Downs and, 
and we live on a bridal way to the most beautiful views and so actually it's been good it's been really tough to prioritize exercise and and get everything done and oh first trimester pregnancy yeah i wouldn't wish that on anyone in lockdown oh, um i was gonna get to that, that. <laughs> that was not that was not fun that was kind of three o'clock in the afternoon the um yeah basically i, I mean i i had no energy i was passed out on the couch and the kids were watching cartoon and i should just say you know i'm not this is i'm not i'm, I'm not winning at motherhood at the moment but i can't do any more so that's what it's going to be and they loved it so for us it's actually been really good i think it's it's been a we're looking back there's no there's no normal anymore we're not going back to where we were but um yeah it's been good i see kind of if we'd still been in london we'd have really been struggling um but in the countryside i think everything's a lot easier so you think it's been kind of quite a number of positive outcomes of all of this i think for us definitely um especially kind of i taking a step back and realizing that i was just running 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 and kind of drop the boys off to work pick them up kind of latest kind of dinner bath bed um and i've really enjoyed spending more time with them um as is my husband and time as a family and in the week and i spent more time with my husband than ever before um so I think we're making some decisions on what we want to do going forward and how we want to balance time and how we want to prioritize different things. And um, yeah, it, it's made us really think about what's important um, and how fast we really do need to run in life um, to be happy and, and what we should prioritize. So that, that has been really beneficial. So have you found that it's affected your training then? I think training's, training's been different, more affected by pregnancy than anything else. Um, so I'm really lucky. I live on beautiful trail. I can run um, before I could run super early morning, or I can run late in the evening, and that would be fine. Pregnancy, I do not have the energy to do that. So I'm not getting out of bed until the kids are screaming at me to get out of bed. Um, and by five o'clock, I can't, I can't run at all. Um, I've got no energy. So um, that's been more the issue. Um, luckily, we converted a spare bedroom into a gym. So I have a treadmill. Lovely. Um, and I think that's what's changed my life, having the treadmill, because if the kids are napping, I can get on the treadmill and I've got the baby monitor and I know that I can get to them. Um, but also for running in pregnancy, the impact side, I can't go and run big downhill trails and pump myself around here as much as I want to. So this morning session was all at 10% on incline on the treadmill. And it's really hard kind of running intervals, but it's taking the pressure off my body. Um, and I can still push myself as hard as I'm allowed to. So that's going to be more, I think, what's changed my training than trying to prioritize. It's been difficult to juggle because my husband loves cycling. So he's got his bike set up and we both want to train, but we've just had to sit down on a Sunday and say, this is my work week. This is your work week. These are my training plan. This is your training plan. These are what the boys are doing. How do we fit everything in so we have as much time with the boys as possible and we're both getting what we need out of our exercise so that we're not frustrated that um, we're, we're not getting things done and we still get the, the mental health benefits of it. So we've had to be more organised. I can understand that. <laughs> did, you, um, did you train... Um, as much during your last two pregnancies so I trained differently so I didn't have a running coach during my last two pregnancies 
Um, so first pregnancy, um, I weight trained. I weight trained through the, the boat, the, the first few pregnancies quite strongly, um, right until the end. Um, I ran less mileage. Um, I think I stopped first pregnancy at seven and a half months. Just one day I was like, no, nah, it doesn't feel right anymore. Um, second pregnancy, I stopped at five months. Um, and that was a strategic decision to protect my pelvis, protect my pelvic floor, and switch to um, stem mill, knowing that actually that was going to be more appropriate for UTMB. So I knew that in my second pregnancy, I had UTMB. It was a complete joke, long shot. Um, but actually, if I was going to do everything I could to get that, I was going to weight train, be really strong, um, and stem mill, um, stem mill and spin class. Um, so this pregnancy is interesting because I've got some brilliant specialists around me that I've met since. So Emma Brockwell um, is my is my physio, um, who's kind of known as a brilliant women's physio, wrote the Return to Running Guidelines. Um, and Edwina Sutton's my running coach, um, that she helped me prepare for UTMB once I, I'd given birth and called her up. And she's like, you're bonkers, but I'll help you. Um, so I'm trying to do whatever I can. I think it's much more structured. Um, but it's trying to explore all the different things I can do um, and then for the first time share them. So I'm writing a blog on every week of pregnancy, all the different things that are happening because your body changes every week and it goes forwards and backwards and sideways and one, one week you can't do something, one week you can. So it's been really interesting to try things, to try and do all the strength stuff to, to stop my pelvis. My pelvic floor is awful after a good birth. Um, that's I know that that's going to be an issue. So I'm reducing the impact, trying loads of different exercises, trying different strength exercises, um, and we'll see how it goes. But it's been definitely much more focused. Um, I'm really benefiting from the, the specialist help and trying to share that with as many pregnant women as possible because there just isn't great advice out there. Um, and obviously, you can't really research on pregnant women, um, and we don't get much research into women's sport anyway. So there's not going to be, this is safe, that's not safe. They just tell you everything's not safe because they can't prove it is. So it's working out how, how my body adapts and, and what feels right. Sure. So um, I, I was doing a bit of Google stalking of you. Uh, <laughs> I, was, yeah, I was trying to get a list of all the races you've done. And I don't think I have got a list of all the races you've done. I've been researching and researching and I think I've got some, but not all. But most of them are absolutely mental. <laughs> like, you know, UTMB, Marathon de Sable, there's kind of the Druid cha- the Druids Challenge, the Fire and Ice Ultra in Iceland, racing the planet in Nepal. I mean, these are crazy long distances. So I guess I really wanted to ask you, like, how did you get into doing that? How did you figure out? that you were good at doing those sorts of distances? I didn't. Um, so my background is not as a runner. So I was, I was joking, I was second last in a mile at school. Um, and I hated running and I'd label myself as not a runner. Like I do not run. Um, I was overweight as a child. When I gave birth to both my kids, I was still lighter than when I was when I was kind of 14. Um, so that running wasn't for me. No one, no one promoted it at school. So it was... It was only when I, I was made redundant and I didn't know what to do with my life. And I'd been doing a bit of strength training to lose some weight and Muay Thai. So I'd gone to Thailand for two months, 
learning to kick people in the head. Um, really liked that. Husband wasn't too sure about it. Um, and I met a friend who just done the marathon to sub. And he said, I'd sponsored him and we had lunch. And he said, you know what? You'd be really good at this. This is a hike. It's not a run race. It's a hike. You're really good at hiking. I'd done these long distance hiking when I was in the, um, the officer um, the, the officer cadet side of the Air Force at university. And he's like, you're mentally strong. You're physically strong. Um, go and sign up for this. So I blindly signed up for the Marathon de Saab with nine months to train, not having run more than a mile in my life. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. And I'm always kind of say to people, if you're scared about something, just go and do it. Just say yes. Um, because he said you can finish it by walking. So, well, there's nothing to lose. Um, and then I looked at what it was, and it's 250 kilometers over six days in 47 degrees heat, carrying your stuff. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, what did I do? Um, and so I, the next day I went for a run. Um, and I worked out. And then a few months later, I did the Jewish Challenge, which three days, about 85 miles. Um, and I worked out that I can run slow, very long distances. And actually, a lot about ultras is the mental side and the preparation side, uh, which I'm really good at. Um, I think women are really good at because we pack for kind of the whole family. Um, when we're just looking after ourselves, it's really easy. Um, we only have to think about one person. So we deal with things. We make sure we have the right kit on us. Um, if we think we're getting blistered, we'll actually listen to ourselves and stop um, rather than our ego saying, I'm going to keep up with the guy in front of me. Um, so I worked out. I was, and I had a brilliant time on the race. Um, I think meeting so many new people. Um, I was in a tent with seven guys I'd never met. Um, they knew nothing about me um, before I got there. So you're just, and you're, you're exposed to like your rawest parts of your personality because you can't put on any kind of um, front to who you are. You've got not enough food. You're exhausted. Um, so you make friends for life. And I really loved that side of being in nature. Um, and so for the next few years after that, I did more and more stage races, which are kind of the, the longer distance split over a few days. And I, I signed my husband up from the pool race without telling him, so brought him along. Um, <laughs> we came to Fire and Ice in Iceland with me as well. Um, and it was our holiday every year. Um, and then I had kids. Well, then I pushed it harder and um, did Ironman because I wanted to learn to swim because um, hubby was doing it and I wanted to learn to swim and I couldn't swim. Um, and then I got into the really long stuff because it's quite hard to take the time to go to the other side of the world and do a six day race when you've got kids. So you kind of have to do the same distance, but just nonstop. Wow. So, and which of these was your favorite then? What's, what, which one did you love the most? Um, that's a difficult question. I think, I think the hardest races have been the most impactful. I think I loved going to different countries and learning about them, really exploring them. So I did a race in Bhutan, which was incredible because um, I was running with a girl uh, called Zenia and we realized on day one, we could either race each other um, to try and win the race or just say, you know, we'll win it together and we'll go and really enjoy ourselves. Um, and we just got to see the country in a different way. So Bhutan's an incredible place. Um, it's run by a company called Global Limits, and it's it's incredible. Um, so that on a on a explore the countryside, um, I think Spartathlon was special because it's um, 153 miles nonstop in Greece, but the time limit's really 
tight. It's 36 hours and it's hot and fairly hilly. Mm. And that was the first time I tried. I'd signed up for something not believing I'd finish um, because it was so difficult. And it was about one in three that make the start line and qualify got to the end. Um, so that was special. The first time I got a running coach, I had Robbie Britton, Robbie Britton coach me for that. And um, that was kind of proving to myself I could finally be a – I started calling myself a runner then. Um, which is ridiculous. It took only me after. Then. I, only then, and and it's ridiculous now. And I, and I say, see, to so many women that I'm not a runner because you know I I just do three miles every now and then. Like, no, you are a runner, and you only look at it hindsight. Going, I was a runner the first time I put a pair of running shoes and went for a run. Um, so Spartathlon was crazy, but I think Spine last summer um, was really special because it was the longest, so it's 268 miles non-stop. I did the summer version because I get hypothermia easily, so my husband's like, you're not doing the winter version. I was doing the Jasmine Paris one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the non-stop for five days and mostly on my own and navigating and doing a lot of things. And it was just beautiful. I'd never, I'd never been on Pennine Way and it was so hard, but I, I really enjoyed, I think every... Every, every year I need a few days for myself to clear my head. Um, and that's actually what ultra running does for me at one of these nonstop races. Just you can get through all the thoughts in your mind. Everything that's built up over the year. Let it go. Be in nature and come back kind of a, a better mother, I guess. Um, and, and the kids notice that you've kind of had that, that, that time on your own. And then um, you're pretty happy afterwards. You can't walk though, so you're, you're useless as a mother. But um, in that way, but it's um, spine. Spine was really special. Okay. And UTMB, UTMB for different reasons because it's now become such a part of my life. What happened there? Um, but that was quite cool too. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get onto that in a bit. Um, so, um, have there been any of these races that you've hated? Like, did you have you had any kind of DNFs or anything like that? So. Hated so D- DNFs. Um, I had one just before Marathon de Salle because I tore my hip flexor with six weeks to go, oh. um, and um, knew I just had to sit down for six weeks, so I pulled out. The difficult race was Cambodia, so this was 2013, and I went into a coma and should be dead. So that wasn't great. Oh my God, that's um, so this is another stage race, um, and um, it's crazy all on camera because a American film crew called Boundless were filming it, and they filmed in Iceland and said to me, will you come to Cambodia um, and, and race with us? We're going in a few weeks, and it's brilliant fun. So same 250 kilometers over six days, and I drank too much water and didn't take enough salt tablets. Oh. And so we talk about hyponatremia, as essentially diluting the sodium within your, your blood. We talk about electrolytes and people take electrolytes when it's hot. And I've since realized I actually sweat a high proportion of salt in my sweat. And I'm really quite small. I'm five foot four, about nine stone. And at the checkpoints, I was being given the same amount of water as the, the bigger guys and being encouraged to drink it. And I had very, very low sodium salt tablets. I had a normal brand of salt tablets not taking enough of them, not keeping my food down. And I was pushing myself a bit hard. I was winning the race after day three. And just suddenly, I I don't feel right. Um, The next day, I was in a coma. Um, 
So I had two helicopter trips out of the jungle um, to from seeing, so one to Seenry, one to Bangkok. Um, and my family met me there. And 36 hours later, I woke up. Um, but my husband had to take a call saying, there's half a chance your wife dies and half a chance she has brain damage. And um, my sodium levels were 108. And they just had never seen them that low before the full recovery. Um, and miraculously, I can have pulled through, had a week in hospital there. Um, memory loss for about a month. I went straight back to work, which was crazy in hindsight. Um, and I'm fine, but it's a, it's a, it, it's a risk that I'm, I'm aware of now and I'm very conscious of my salt. Um, it's not a reason not to race because I know how to control it, but it's certainly kind of people die during the marathon. Um, the longer races, the more you can get yourself into that deficit and the more we should be aware of it. So you talk about electrolytes, they impair our performance, not having our sodium levels high enough, but actually it can be quite serious. So hating, um, I don't remember much about the race. I can't really hate it. And I really enjoyed the first few days. And we were staying in these amazing, camping in these amazing ancient temples. And I wish I'd run the finish at Angkor Wat, which would have been incredible. Um, but that's the race that's had the biggest impact. I've never pulled out from pain. I've never pulled out from being kind of bored or, or, or not having a really good reason to pull out. Um, I don't do races that I don't really want to do, um, that don't have a purpose. Um, I don't just run races for the sake of running races. I've got beautiful countryside. I can go for a 20-mile jaunt around here if I want to do something. I don't care about medals. Um, so there's no reason to DNF races. But that one, that one's probably my biggest DNF. Um, and it took a while to get back into things after that. Would you would you consider doing it again? No. Um, the only reason is I don't enjoy running in humidity. Um, and I thought about kind of running is I like running. I like covering ground. Um, it's the same reason I don't think I'll do sky races because they're so technical on the climbing. I don't have the expertise to do it. I just hate running when it's humid. And the weather recently has been horrible. Um, I like dry heat, so I definitely go back out to the desert. Um, I don't even want to go to the jungle because I don't like creepy crawlies. Um, <laughs> and I don't want to get bitten and have like bites all over my body and try and run. Um, and I can't do the ice ultra. So my husband did the Swedish ice ultra uh, run by Beyond the Ultimate, uh, which is an incredible race and it's beautiful. But I'm prone to hypothermia. And I've got Raynaud's disease. So it wouldn't make sense for me to do that. In the same way I know that humidity saps me, I won't do the humid races. So I like tough races. I want to race them. I want to enjoy them. But you have to choose when you sign up for a challenge, like what, what's going to get you kind of excited. You have to enjoy it. Um, there's no point just doing something that's just going to be painful. I did um, yeah, Tough Guy when I was much, much younger. And I was like, this is horrible. I'm freezing cold. Um, I don't like being cold. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it's like things I enjoy. And I think going back, I I love the team. I think the organization is incredible. But I think I will stick to races where I'm in tough environments, but ones that I'm comfortable with. I can thoroughly understand that. I have Raynaud's too, so it's, it's crippling <laughs> in winter. Yeah, absolutely crippling. <laughs> Um, and I tend to do like an early morning boot camp and um, just come back home with completely purple and white fingers. Horrible. And when they warm up, it's really painful. Really painful. So 
yeah my my gloves like i wear i carry gloves with me kind of in um yeah from march on from kind of like kind of and it's like what are you doing it's like it's springtime it's like i need my gloves i need my gloves (laughs) i battery battery pack gloves on the best presents my husband ever bought me oh i need to know about these i think Good. They, 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 um, you plug them in and they kind of warm. He takes them out, them out with the kids in the winter. Once they get cold, they're cold. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's no good. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about the salt thing. How do you figure out this salt deficit? So I'm really, um, I'm really, well, I'm really scientific about a lot of my food and because you have to be on long events. And there's a company called Precision Hydration who um, sweat, do sweat tests. So they test you, um, and it's a test that you often use to um, um, look at cystic fibrosis, and it, and it will tell you how many um, milligrams of salt uh, or sodium you, you sweat per litre. Um, so I know that when I, if I'm drinking a litre, then that's how much kind of, and I needed to drink that. I know how much I'll be sweating out. I've sweated out because of that. And I look to replace, and mine's about 1,000, so it's a gram. Um, so I look to replace about half of that with food and half of that with electrolyte tablets. Um, and when I'm, especially now with pregnancy and pelvic floor, you can definitely be during a run. Okay. I don't want to drink a load during my run. So I rehydrate the night before I'll take um, an electrolyte tablet on their strong ones the night before really make sure I'm fully hydrated. Um, and during the race, I, I have Excel spreadsheets, um, for my food intake and my drink intake. Um, <laughs> you can get away with a marathon you can get away with a marathon once you're doing back to back four five six plus you can't get away with it just kind of i'm gonna just put a 250 in my bottle and the other one not or take it from checkpoints not knowing what it is um i know how serious it is and i know that even if i'm not going to get sick it's going to impair how i feel and why why would i do all this training um and go into the races well as I can and just not just like so simple as to pop a pop a tablet in my bottle fair enough um I I really want to ask you about UTMB because you're like the poster woman for UTMB for all women everywhere um I mean I'll probably talk about this at some point in the intro obviously um but so there was this incredible photograph of you it's an absolutely beautiful photograph of you breastfeeding your son when he was three months old I think yeah um and this was during the utmb and it was at a checkpoint what's and it's lovely the way that the photographer has kind of put you next to a chap with his legs up i mean, obviously he's draining lactic acid he's not just sort of like hanging around but he just he was, like, he was asleep i think like, yeah. people were napping we'd, we'd run through the night so he was napping i'd love i'd love to nap yeah well i'm sure you would have done and um it's an incredible image it's so powerful and so beautiful so how did that come about? Why were you running the UTMB with a three-month-old baby? And like, what was it like breastfeeding at checkpoints and, and while everyone else had their legs in the air? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll take it back a few years. So UTMB is, so it's, it's the, the race around Mont Blanc and um, it's known as kind of the, the, the biggest ultra race in the world, certainly for in Europe. And it takes ages to get into because you've got to get points for two years and then you've got to succeed in the ballot. Um, and I got my first place when I was pregnant with my first son. Um, and I said, can I defer the place? Because I'm pregnant. Um, and they said, no, um, you have to be injured. Um, and I'm like, well, if you looked at my pregnancy symptoms, they, they pretty much stack up to an injury. And they said, no, because pregnancy is by choice. Um, 
and injury is not by choice. I'm like, hang on, most people get injured. They could probably have not got injured. However, and pregnancy timing is not by choice, not when it takes kind of almost a year for try for a baby and, and you don't press a button become pregnant. Um, life would be much easier if we just could do that. Um, so I lost my place four years ago. Um, and then the year after I didn't have enough points. And then I, I finally got another two years. I missed out again. And then I got an automatic place. Um, and we'd started to try for a baby. And I thought, well, we'll, we'll get pregnant really quickly. And, and, and the baby will be kind of nine months, kind of 11 months, it'll be fine. And it took ages to try for a baby. And finally, when we, um, we realized we were pregnant, the, the second thing I thought of was, baby's only going to be three months when I run the UTMB. Um, so it was, it was never a point of actually doing the race. It was always a kind of, they wouldn't defer my place. I knew the policies hadn't changed. Um, and I was going to lose my place again. Or... I could have a go at being on the start line and just experience the the start or even 10 kilometers or even just have that as a focus of keeping fit during pregnancy, knowing that I could run another race later. Um, but it's been a dream of mine for so many years that it wasn't a case of I'm just going to get back into it and, 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 and prove I can run this far three months pregnant. I mean, I hadn't told anyone I was doing it. Um, we booked the time we're going to go to Chamonix and have a great time. And my friends were running it too. And the other races during the week and pregnancy training went really well. And I focused and it was all having that in the diary was brilliant to just make me make the right decisions during pregnancy to keep strong, to keep healthy, um, to keep at the gym, um, then get back on the, the, into the gym as soon as I can, I gave birth, what was safe. So, I didn't run for six, seven weeks um, because my pelvic floor couldn't handle it, but I was really focused on repairing it. Um, and then I, I thought, well, I might get on the start line. I called um, Robbie up. He coached me for Spartathlon when I did my first run, and I, I think I was seven weeks postpartum. I said, Robbie, guess what? I've got a UCMB place. And he's like, haven't you just had a kid? Um, so he's like, I can't, I, 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 I can't coach you for this. I'm not qualified but I know a woman who is. Um, and so Edwina is a um, GB ultra athlete. She's got three kids. She knows exactly um, what I'm going. She thought I was bonkers too, but <laughs> she'd have done the same thing. So it's always helpful. Like when I'm like, can I do something crazy? And she's like, no. She's like, I'm like, would you do it? She's like, yes, let's do it. Um, <laughs> so, so, so she, she coached me and it was, it was only a week before the race where I'd already got to Chamonix and um, I did a, a, an up and down on one of the hills and, and my pelvis wasn't fully repaired. So I, I couldn't push the race like I would. I couldn't run down hills and that's where I make up all the time. And I just felt good after a day hike and I thought, I could probably get to the end of this. And then my, three, my then three-year-old said, um, he saw the other guys finishing and, and when you finish, you come through the whole of Chamonix because there's a shorter race earlier in the week and you come in and your family can run with you. And he's like, mommy, that's going to be us. That's going to be us. I'm going to be running with you. And, and I was like, oh, he's not going to understand you if I don't finish. <laughs> so I didn't really have a choice. Um, so that's going to work. UTMB kind of, and I was like, well, I'll see how I go. And no, I can pull out a, any point it's I've got nothing to prove to anyone um 
the celebration was being on the start line and having kind of healed myself from pregnancy and got myself there. Um, and then the photo was taken in, oh, because I was exclusively breastfeeding. So that was a spanner in the works. Um, we tried, we tried formula the, the kind of the, the, the week before knowing that I couldn't bring enough to France and get enough to him. So we knew we'd have to have a few bottles. Um, and then it was the longest I hadn't fed him for. And it was 16 hours to get to that point. And it was, I basically had, was sporting a pair of watermelons. It was so painful. I was like pumping behind trees and squeezing out everywhere. Sounds disgusting. Um, and, and then, yeah, Alexis Berg came up to me, um, or up to my husband when I was feeding and, and pumping. And he's one of the best trail running photographers in the world. I didn't recognize him at the time. You, you never know what these photographers look like. And just asked me to take a photo. And um, we said no at the start because um, I was breastfeeding and that was a bit weird. And then we realized, had a chat and realized how difficult it'd been for me to get there and that no woman should have to make that choice. And I should have been allowed another year to prepare for it. And if the organizer or just one person saw the photo and, and that led to some change and that women would be given kind of um, the right treatment, these races, because we're not, um, we're second class citizens at, at the ultras. Um, a lot is changing now, which is brilliant. Um, and so we said yes. And then, um, then my phone started ringing a few days later. Wow. And, to, uh, and what has changed? Has, has there been change to allow women to defer their places? I think a lot of race directors kind of got in contact and said, do you know what? We're blokes and we'd never thought about this. Um, and I think they would have said yes if someone had asked, but women look at things and don't ask. So a lot of races have put really positive um, uh, changes in place. So they're like, if you get pregnant, this is what we can do. You can have a refund. You can have a deferral. Uh, the UCMB hasn't changed their policy at all. Um, I think you can get a refund now, um, but only if you're kind of giving if you're giving birth kind of more than. A few weeks before the race, you don't get a refund, and there's no deferral. And we don't want refunds. We want deferrals. We want to take our place. We have to fight for those points. We have to fight for our entry. We don't want that um, to be taken away from us. This is my dream for years, um, and I wanted. I, I, I would. I'd love to go back and race it properly. I'd love to be able to fly down the hills, to to go up the hills, to not have to stop and try and force myself with so much food just to keep my milk supply up. Um, but we don't get that opportunity. So it's sad that hasn't changed, but I think it's led to a lot of change in the world of running and the world of ultra running where it's now people are aware that women have this thing kind of where we have children um, and it changes our bodies and it takes us out for a while. And, and we have to respect that, that men don't do that. So it's not giving us better treatment. It's, it's helping us to be more on a par with men, which we should be. And women also, they go through this, but they're also, it turns out, really bloody good at ultra marathons. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mentioned Jasmine Paris, um, who's just one other. I mean, why, why do you think that is? I think, I mean, so kind of Sabrina Vergy just kind of went the third fastest time in the Wainwrights as well. And she's, she's incredible. She was at Spy in the same year I was, Spy Fusion. And I think women are just 
really, really mentally strong. We're really good at planning. Um, we're really good at pacing. Um, so we don't go off too quick, which is the longer ultras. Um, it's so tempting to go off too quick. And you think, no, let's be sensible. We feed ourselves properly. We're used to feeding our families. So we feed ourselves well. Um, and I think we we really appreciate what we're doing. I think the um, we don't take on one of the the doubts that we don't take on challenges that are at our limits a lot of the time. And I think women should definitely kind of have more faith in themselves and take on those challenges. So you see Spartathlon. When I went out there, I was the only kind of woman on the British team out of twenty five, um, and there were definitely many more women that could do it, but they just didn't have the confidence because it's such tight cutoffs. So I think we take challenges within ourselves a bit more than men, but we should have the confidence that, you know, we can step up because we'll, everything that we have in our control, we will work really hard at that. And things can happen on the day. And there was recently a race, um, the North Downs 100 was a few weeks ago, and it was on this really hot, humid days which slows everyone down. So lots of people miss the cutoff. Um, you can't control that. But I know that everyone tried, especially my friends doing it, that they DNF'd in the end, but they'd done everything they could to get to the end. So I think women are just, we are, we are better over the longer distances. I think because they, they often say we've got more fat on us, so we've got more fuel inside. Um, it's, such, it's such a complex combination, but um, I think it's not that long ago that we weren't allowed to run the marathon in the Olympics or anything over a few K it's, it's crazy thinking about that because our bodies are built to go as far as men's are. Um, and we're really good at it. So there's no reason we shouldn't. Yeah, well, absolutely. I, I spoke to Jasmine Paris after she did the spine, um, January before last. And, um, I, we, we were talking about whether potentially there might be something to do with the fact that one of, one of her kind of, um, one of her advantages during that race was the fact that she was used to having very little sleep. <laughs> so she was surviving on such little sleep at the time. Obviously she had a really tiny child as well. And um, I do think that does give us an advantage. I think. I, I, I joked on, on the start line of the UTMB. I mean, I, I had a three month old, so there wasn't much sleep going on. I was the best prepared person on that start line for sleep deprivation. Um, and other people really suffered. And, you get the hallucinations, definitely. So the race is really awful because it starts at six o'clock at night. Um, and most people have been sleeping during the day, but I had two kids to look after and they'd wanted to go up one of the, one of the mountains to see the hang gliders. And I was like, I don't know, sleep. Um, and then you go through the first night and then I didn't get hallucinations till the second night. And I had 20 minutes kept and I was absolutely right. It was rain again because it wasn't much different to normal um so yeah I, it definitely I think going through the mental hardship of not sleeping once you're a mum it all becomes so much easier um yeah and the other thing about becoming a mum and pregnancy and stuff you said um and I'm quoting you here we can talk about pelvic floors right yeah 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 let's talk about pelvic mums, floors. most mums have problems <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what what do women runners need to know about their pelvic floors what do we need to do I, for me, it's a case of protecting it. So I, so my pelvic floor issues started um, the second I gave birth to my first child. So I didn't know what pelvic floor was. Um, and um, it seems to be much more public now. So this is, he was born in 2014, end of 2014. And um, I basically had the day, I'd had a um, episiotomy, a von Tuss delivery. So they had to kind of cut 
the muscle. And I didn't have a pelvic floor, really. Um, and I was like, what's this? To the, to, to the midwife. She's like, yeah, so uh, we're going to explain what happened to you. So that wasn't good. Um, and it took me three months to take a running step. Um, so I was back doing arches at five and a half months. Um, I ran a 50 mile end, but it took me three months to take that running step. Um, and I was prepared on my second to kind of do the exercises, but no, no matter how many exercises you do, giving birth kind of when you can, um, is, is going to, unless you're having a C-section, giving birth is, and, and the whole is going to impact it. And the whole of the weight and the impact on pregnancy is going to weaken it. And that was the decision in my second pregnancy to go, well, what stopped me? What would stop me getting on the start line? And that'll be a, a pelvic floor that couldn't handle it. How do I take that off during pregnancy? Well, I'm not going to run for five months and I'm going to do low impact exercise. Um, and so for me, I, I get really frustrated by these adverts that talk about these oops moments and these things that make it sound really normal. It, it, unfortunately, it's normal because it's one in three mums probably more but there's so much you can do to strengthen it um and while you're strengthening it um there's so much low impact exercise you can do that is just as hard as running if not harder um i joke you know if you put a treadmill up to 20 percent and hike fast on it it's far harder than going for a run mm-hmm. um and i know because all my heart all my training is heart rate based so i can see what the heart rate is and when i did the treadmill everest a couple of weeks ago um, I could see that my my heart rate was kind of far higher hiking at 20% than it was kind of running marathon pace on the flat. Um, so I think it's everyone getting themselves checked out by a proper female physio and kind of Emma's, Emma's one of the best ones. So I'm lucky she's, she's, she's supporting me and helping me. Um, but knowing that we can fix it and we shouldn't live with it, but we do need to be aware. And if we have problems, there's lots of other exercises we can do especially if you're pregnant or recovering um, until it's strong again. So it's, it's, it's been weird because I never thought I'd talk about my pelvic floor publicly, but I realized that no one does. So someone has to. Um, and, and so many women I meet just have lived with it, issues for years and it, you don't have to live with it. There are, there are so much you can do. And especially as runners, we put a lot of impact on it. And you see people saying, um, mums in gym, like kind of Joe Wicks going, I can't do the star jumps. You can't live like that for the rest of your life. And how much, how much does that stop women taking up exercise and taking up sports and not joining in with their kids because they have the problem? And we should all, it should be just the most normal thing to get fixed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so is this something that you've been talking about as part of your, um, your job with women in sport? Is it, is it part of that or is, it, is, it, is that something separate, something you've become impassioned about? I think, I, I mean, I, I'm, I, so I became a trustee of women's sport early this year. And I think a lot based on UTMB changed my trajectory in a way, kind of works kind of still the same. I, I, um, I stepped back from the CEO of the company I co-founded and now I do more consulting and advisory, more to have flexibility with the kids. But I think I saw an issue there, I think, talking about women in sport in general and mothers. Um, and it would be wrong if I, if I can help just one mum, then I should be spending my time doing that. And Women in Sport is an amazing charity, and it's all about um, empowering more women and girls um, to to get the lifelong benefits of sport from grassroots to elite. Um, 
And we've been talking about mothers and they've got some brilliant new menopause research and, and teenage research and actually post-COVID research, like how many women are giving up their exercise um, because they're prioritizing taking care of family and how difficult it would be to get back into that. Um, but the pelvic floor side has been a lot with my physio, Emma, um, and just in interviews, kind of, I think we should talk about it. It's crazy that we don't talk about it. And um, pushing for, for much better checkups on the NHS. And my six-week checkup was, uh, are you happy? Are you okay? Fine, you're okay. Take my blood pressure. Um, we, being okay means good mental health. And for a lot of women, that means doing exercise. And there was none of that for me. Um, and every, I think every woman should have a proper women's physio checkup at six weeks. And if everything is not 100%, then follow-ups kind of every six weeks being transferred to a physio because getting us right at that time can change our entire life of health. Um, and they, they, they're just so myopic in, in the house that with the government not funding it. So what are your, your hopes for your position with women in sport? Um, what, what are you hoping to achieve? Certainly to support the charity. I mean, for, for us, it's all about kind of getting more women and girls um, more active and loving sport. And it's not sport for um, just kind of getting more active. I think Sport England kind of cover that side. For us, it's there's benefits of sport from, from the workplace. So developing those skill sets early on, the teamwork, the leadership that are so easy to show on a, a man's CV when you've been captain of the rugby team, but quite difficult if you're a woman and you've done some yoga. Um, so that's like all the way keeping people active um, through the teenage years, kind of healthy pregnancies, post-pregnancies, menopause, um, which is the other topic people don't talk about. And I think if we start getting women's watching amazing research, and find insights and it's getting that doing what I can to help get that out to the public and make more women and girls aware and change things so they 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 successfully campaigned to have um boards have to be 30 percent men and women if you're funded by the government um um your sporting body getting more women involved in decision making means that sport is going to be better made for us than it has been um and we've seen Last year, we did so well. Um, there was so much women's sport on TV. It was fantastic. It was so inspiring. And suddenly, coming back after COVID, the men's sport's getting prioritized again because the women's doesn't have the big sponsorship. Um, so it's, it's such a why There's so many things to kind of get my arms around. Um, there's such a brilliant team at the charity. So for me, it's everything I can do, everything I can do to, to support them, publicize it. Um, I, I look back and I think kind of, I was the kid that didn't do sport and didn't think sport was for me. And I wish I'm so lucky I found it, but I wish I had it back then and how my life would be different now. So, um, and at the other end, because actually looking at my mum, getting her into the gym because, you know, we really need to strengthen ourselves as we get older. And if someone kind of told her at the start of the menopause that she'll be losing so much of her bone mass over the next few years, but she could, stop that by doing weight-bearing exercise well of course she would have done it um but we don't get that out there so as a god would answer there's so much and i'm still getting my head around it but um i'm just so passionate about getting women having the right research done because we're not the same as men we're not small men as kind of dr stacy sim says um i'm helping more women become active because i just think it gives us benefits through so much of our lives 
So um, in terms of you specifically, then what are your next big goals? You're, you're clearly still training. Um, <laughs> when are you due? It's early December. So I'm 20, 24 weeks. So I've just exploded in the last two weeks. I'm like, oh, there's a big, there's a bump there. It's all the clothes that doesn't, don't fit. I was like, no, that's not going over the bump. No, no, that isn't either. So yeah, 24 weeks now. So not too long to go. Not too long. So, um, and you're still training. So do you have, what are your plans for um, 2021? Um, I don't know. It's quite exciting. Um, I think that the big thing is to heal well. So have a really fit pregnancy, do everything I can, um, explore new things and kind of go with some of Emma's ideas on, I mean, I'm a, I'm a test bunny for her. Like it, it's, it's, I want to try everything so I can give the best advice out to other women. So yeah, writing, writing blog for the first time um, about everything, which is, is yeah, interesting. I'm, 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 I have no filters. I just write everything. It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that again. It's so embarrassed what I write. Um, yeah, there's lots about pelvic floors and things in there. Um, I want to, I want to heal safely. I want to heal well. Um, this whole snapback is rubbish. Um, it's my third baby. I think there's so much pressure on women to get back out there. And I'm aware of how the UTMB at three months looks because it was just a shot in a million that I could do it. And I'd had 10 years of training and I don't want to say to women, you should be expected to do that because that's absolutely not the case. And if you're managing that with shower in the morning and you've got a three month old, you're doing really well. Um, so students getting back strong. Um, there's a few options. I think I definitely want to do a race called Tour de Géant, which is like spine fusion. It's about 200 plus miles, but it's um, in the, um, in the, in the, um, in Italy, up in the mountains and it looks beautiful. And I've been looking at it for ages. Um, there's a few FKTs that I've got my eye on that I could definitely, which are quite flexible around family because I can choose when I do them. Um, so setting the fastest time over long distance trails, kind of over 100 miles probably. Um, and then I want to get probably back into the 24 hour track racing um, and maybe Bartathlon again. I think 24 hour track could be the, the event that I'm best at um, because he gets into the mental side. Um, I'm not the lightest runner for my build. I'm quite a, a strong build for the weight training. So getting up mountains, I've never been the quickest at, and I don't live in mountains. Um, but I'd like to see how far I can run into 24 hours in a track. Um, so really just enjoying myself, getting back in the trails, getting fit and healthy. Um, and when people suggest fun races, then if I can fit them in with a the family, then I'll do them. Does it make your kids want to run as well when they see you and your husband getting out there? They are, they're hilarious. So my five-year-old is faster down a trail than my husband is now. <laughs> my husband's never been very, he, he's, he's always breaking bones running. So he's, I put him on the bike. Um, he did the Bhutan race a few years after me and stumbled down a mountain and, and broke his arm in two. So he's not really allowed to run much. He's, he's good in the ice arch. He's allowed to do that because it's a soft landing if you fall on the snow and it's quite flat. So um but we're always we're really active we hike all the time and um we have races up and down hills and my five-year-old is really quick down a trail um and and tries to race me down i'm like now i'm pregnant i'm like i'm not going to race you down a hill now um, <laughs> my two-year-old we, they do hill reps for fun so my two-year-old gets so much head start on the hill and then the five-year-old tries to catch up um 
and it's just games when they, they love, they love junior park run. Um, he loves beating his time and getting a PB. Um, and we go to holiday in, in Pueblo Santa and Lanzarote and there's an athletics track and he's like, oh, it's on day one, like how fast can I run round? Um, so I don't expect them to become runners. Um, I'd never force anything on them. Running is, is fun. Um, but they're definitely very fit and active. And I think that's the, the focus, but they, I'm sure they'll want to race. He did the, um, um, they both did a 5k. So my two year old did a 5k for like a, a, a virtual challenge centurion. Mm-hmm. And then my five year old did a, you had to get the vert in a week. So I was doing Everest on the treadmill in, um, I think just over two days. And he was doing kind of, we live on hills, kind of kinder scout, the equivalent kinder scout up and down. And, um, he loved it. I think they, they love feeling fit. They love being able to run fast. Um, and that's all we're going to push them to do is just have a love of the outdoors. Um, and the same thing with this one, um, which is a bit different because it's a girl. So I'm always a bit like, uh, I had such a negative view of sport growing up. I'm really maybe even more focused on making sure that she sees herself as just as good as her brothers and hopefully faster one day. <laughs> that's what I, I mean. I was going to ask whether your children were having a different experience of sport growing up as the, than you did, but clearly that is the case. I think a lot is about parenting um, and can women's sport have this great kind of daughters and dads campaign, which is very much kind of, are you treating your sons differently from your daughters? So my parents weren't sporty at all. So we did no sport. Um, and my school didn't push it either, but you see families where there's lots of opportunities for the boys. And I see the opportunities kind of out there and, and local and you'll go for kickabout in the, in the, in the, the, the garden with a boy. But would you do that same thing with a girl? And they learn kind of physical literacy at such an early age and they get the confidence to be able to do things at such an early age. And it's pre starting school. You want them going into school, being able to kind of catch balls because then they're going into P lessons confident about their abilities. Um, and it's, do we see girls differently from boys? And, and, and I, I keep questioning myself if I'd had girls first, would I have been in the garden kind of throwing a rugby ball around and, I really hope I would have been, but I'm not sure. Um, so obviously having a girl third kind of will be, I mean, she'll just have to follow the boys around really. Um, but we definitely need to consider whether we're, whether we really are kind of treating girls the same way and knowing that they can do the same things. And it's not that they'll become football players, but being able to have that hand-eye coordination, that hand-foot coordination is so important just to get them able to, enjoy sport kind of through through their school years what made you not enjoy it um I think I did I really wanted to be good because I I used to be a football fan when I was kind of 11 I used to support Wimbledon now Wimbledon AFC when they were at Selhurst Park and I used to I used to love it but I wasn't I was unfit um and I was I was kind of 11 and a quarter so when I was kind of 13 um, and I wasn't, I wasn't going to get on the school teams or anything. And I think I prioritized music, so I didn't have time anyway. And the teachers weren't that interested. If you were going to be on the school team, you know, the clubs were only for those girls that were going to be on the school team, not just because you like doing things. So all that got taken away. Um, and I, I kind of grew up a lot in the Lake District because my grandmother lived there and I went on holidays. And I loved hiking. I really enjoyed that side, but I couldn't run very fast. Um, and my hand-eye coordination is not great. Um, my husband used to be a tennis coach, and he's like, you're completely uncoachable. Um, 
So that's not helpful, really. Um, but I, I think if I'd been, I've, and I got, to, I got to university, and it was much more social thing. So I joined the college football and rugby teams because you could start from scratch, and we weren't supposed to be good. Um, and I really started enjoying it then. Um, still didn't think I could run. Um, didn't like the warm ups. Could barely. Run. I walked to the boathouse, so I wouldn't have to do the run with everyone else. But it is it, it, thinking back to it, kind of if I was if it was something you didn't have to be competitive at, um, and everyone was given the chance to do more sport, I would have done much more sport because I really did like it. I just wasn't going to be on the hockey team. Fair enough. Do you do you think that it's? Um... I mean, how important do you think running, do you think sport is generally for mental health? I think it's absolutely critical. I think, I think the, all the kind of, if you put kind of mental sport as, as a drug, kind of be the best drug out there. Um, and that's my own experience. I think kind of other people have other things that make them feel great. But I think for combined physical mental health, um, we're so sedentary especially with lockdown, people being kind of caught inside and kind of third of women of not being able to do the exercise they want to because they're doing everything else. And we know how a run makes us feel. Maybe not the first mile because the first mile always sucks. Um, we get to the third mile um, and it changes. And for me, it's one thing is the kind of the endorphins and the, the kind of rush of kind of getting out there and the, the sweat. Um, I'm a much better mum when I come home from a run. I'm just, I'm just happy. But I think running, especially the ability to clear our heads, kind of to not put music on, to just think. I did a, I did four miles last night. Um, we'd had a, such a busy weekend and it was as slow as I could go. And I came back, just, I had some problems to fix and some decisions to make on, on work and other things. And I came back with such a clear head that I felt obviously fitter, but I just had that time to myself. And I think often that's what exercise is for women. It's, it, it makes us feel better about our bodies. Um, when we're told we should look a certain way, actually, when you can do things, I, I love my body for what it can do. Um, I'm with their pregnancy. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have marks all over it. Um, but I love it for what it can do. But that time to ourselves is really precious. Um, and maybe it's the time um, to do something for ourselves that's as beneficial for our mental health um, as a physical aspect and the, the kind of getting a sweat on. And you think um, it, it has a really positive impact on our body image as well? I think it's huge. I think when you see, I love boxing. And I think when I, I had such a negative self-image before I started boxing Muay Thai um, and weight training. And I started seeing my body for what I could lift and how hard I could punch. And I started seeing kind of definition in my arms and I think I'd been on a diet since I was about seven years old. Um, and really, it's only kind of recently was I just, it hasn't been an occurrence to me to think negatively of my body because I can run over 100 miles without stopping. And it gives us a different way to define it. I think it helps the whole kind of um, strong as the new, strong as the new skinny um, and having lots of kind of positive role models. But um, when we can value our bodies for something differently from what they look like. And obviously when you run along and you, you exercise, can you, your body changes shape. Um, but if we start thinking positively in that way, actually for me, that has benefits in the rest of our life because I start treating my body as an athlete and in pregnancy, and I'm like, well, I have to carry another, another, another 
being, growing another being, and I'm staying fit. So I need to feed it with the right nutrients and I need to get enough sleep and I need to, st- I hate stretching. Um, I'm even doing stretching. Um, <laughs> I'm Pilates. And I think we just start thinking about our body as, as something we should really value um, and look after rather than something that we should criticize. What was I going to ask then? I was going to ask, um, I was going to ask something really superficial about Kit. <laughs> I love Kit. I love Kit. <laughs> I was going to go from like, right, school days and feminism and, you know, how do we change women's experience and how do we change their, their body image? And then I was going to say, yeah, what's your favourite Kit, Sophie? <laughs> Also, but actually, like, I, it, it's, it's linked because, I mean, kit, having the right kit enables us to get out there. It gives us more confidence. It um, kind of, if kit works, like, if you're out there running in the wrong shoes, you're not going to enjoy your run. If they're blistering you all over or they're not supporting you, um, they're not going to. So it is linked. <laughs> um, I, I'm a kit, well, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a kit fanatic on what's important, I think, kind of, it feels that a lot of kits starting to be designed properly for women. Maternity kit still isn't there in the way it should be. Um, but there's more little brands popping up that are doing great things. Um, but I think what I swear by is my EVB shorts. I love um, because they support your kind of pelvic floor. But actually, in really in pregnancy, I found they really supported my back um, because they, they pull up really high at the back and they've really, really helped Mm-hmm. kind of me go without a belt for quite a long time so that's been wonderful um shoes i run in i run trail and hulkers because i have for years and um they're brilliant trail shoes and i'm not, now i'm trying the road and trail the the, the travel ones as well but their trail shoes are amazing um but actually in doing all the testing i tried lots of other ones so the ultras which were completely flat are really comfy to walk around in um and do jocks so i quite like those um, and Arcter- I can't stop mentioning Arcteryx because their sustainability policies are amazing, but they, um, their waterproofs probably stop me getting hypothermia on the spine. So I'm always, I, I'm absolutely bone dry in a thunderstorm. Um, and some of their kits really loose. So I'm using it for maternity, which is quite helpful. Um, but yeah, I think there's, there's, there's so much kit, especially on the, the, the stage races, I have these black diamond Z poles for trekking um, and for going up the hills. And I wouldn't do a hill race without them. I'll pack them for 50 mile in the North Downs way because I love my poles because um, they help me up the hills. Um, so there's, yeah, if, if, if I didn't, if one of my poles snapped during a race, I would be, I'd be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're such an inspiring runner, Sophie. Who, who inspires you? Um, I think it's such a mix, um, although they all end up being kind of trail runners. Um, so kind of the world from Nikki Spinks and Jasmine on the fells are just incredible. Um, Sabrina as well. I think women that go out and um, push the limits of what's possible. And, and Mimi Anderson, kind of you have to add to that list as well. I think kind of women that just don't let things stand in their way, even if they become mothers, even if they're going through adversity, um, I find it much more difficult to relate to elite sports women where it's been their job um, and they've had all the support around them. Um, whereas ultra running is, is just a passion for most people. And you see that they're juggling jobs, 
and motherhood and everything else and still going and achieving these kind of incredible feats. Um, so I always look up to them and go, that, that's really quite incredible. But I think it's also when I meet so many women that have gone through a story of I didn't run and I was overweight or I had these problems and then you see them come through the journey and you see how they've kept going and suddenly they've changed their lives. And I think I draw so much inspiration from women who've gone through, gone through the adversity and kept going and how they've got there. And, and I think we can learn from, um, we can learn from so many different women. It's not just the elites that, um, I mean, I'm nothing like Dina Asher Smith. I will never be like anything. She's incredible, but I, I take more inspiration from, from, from the likes of kind of, um, from Nikki and Mimi. Oh, that's lovely. That was Sophie Power. Never has a woman been more appropriately named. This episode was recorded over Zoom. The editor and composer was David Newman. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Do please get in touch with anyone you'd like me to chat to and do hit subscribe so that you get your fortnightly dose of women's running chat as soon as I release it into the wild. At Women's Running, we want to inspire you to run, whether you've never run before or you're training for your fifth ultramarathon. We think that women who run need a space for themselves and we want to be that. Every month, we talk all things running and all things women, from training plans for specific distances to interviews with incredible runners, ideas on how to improve your running and remain injury-free, to delicious recipes to fuel your running and tons of advice on women's health. The easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk or you could get it delivered direct to your door or to your inbox every month by subscribing. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet through your app store. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Do join us. We would love to have you with us. Happy running.